Hello and welcome to For the Love of Mary, a podcast series that tracks my journey to finding the relationship between the Virgin Mary and the position of women in Ireland. It's told through the conversations and stories shared with some of the most amazing women on this island. My practice as an artist is very much founded in the idea of gathering the stories of women and this project was no different. Supported by the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, SIAP Award, I was able to travel to meet with women, research the ideas that came up in our conversations, document shrines, all with a view of getting to the bottom of why she's so prevalent in Irish culture, and from that create new works of spoken word and poetry. I had no script, no questions drafted. So what you're about to hear are all very much responsive conversations. I hope you enjoy this journey just as much as I did. Don't forget to share and subscribe and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to episode six of For the Love of Mary podcast. In this in this episode I get to um, chat to Eve Campbell. I've known Eve for years. She is um, an archaeologist, a feminist and an all-round amazing woman. Um, yeah, it was just lovely to be able to sit down and chat with her. Um, we don't get to see each other very often, so to um, to be able to include her in the, this project was, was brilliant. Um, and yeah, so Eve has been documenting shrines um, as a passion project uh, for for the last number of years and she has this amazing um map that we used and we like traveled about um between Corfin and Ennis in County Clare uh on in our during the time that I was down there um looking for these shrines it was I felt a lot like Annika Rice in treasure hunt um searching for shrines and holy wells i think at one point we had to stop because there was one of the holy wells was just this it was so out of the way um and it was beautiful when we got there it was so unassuming and really um it was a few marys in a in a little house box and the whale was there um and uh, but we had to stop at this we had to stop and ask for directions and this wee old woman came out and she answered the door to it. and it was that sort of very Irish direction of okay so if you go down that road and if you go past this but you've gone too far it's just before that come back and it's on the left hand side you have to climb over to get into it anyway it was it was amazing and it was great spending time with her and it was great the conversation that we had and it opened up um hopefully you'll see that as the podcast go along through the conversations that I have with different women my understanding and my my perspective really changes and I and I that idea of each pod each conversation brings up bringing up new ideas that then informs the next the next one and and that that kind of does continue and in this one I had I hadn't really given much thought to post-partition Ireland um anyway I don't want to spoil it for you um give a wee listen and um yeah this one this is this is this it's so good I'll see you on the, I'll catch you on the other side I keep saying see I'll catch you on the other side and uh yeah cheers bye okay so um can I have your name my name is Eve Campbell hello Eve hi Mel <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so um we're here in uh 
County Clare. Yeah, we're right? in Carfin in North County Clare. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, do you want to give us a bit of information about what you what you've been doing? Because you yeah. like have the the coolest job in the world. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm originally from County Louth, but I've been living in Clare for the last three years, and I'm I was pretty much brought here by work. I'm an archaeologist. So I started working here um, on a research project in the Burren and then I really liked it so I decided to stay <laughs> um, and, and I live and I work here as an archaeologist, yeah. And, and you've, been, you've been documenting mm. a lot of the shrines. Yeah, so about maybe two years ago I started a photo project, uh, really ad hoc just to start photographing them and um, and then kind of snowballed into a bit of an archaeological project so I suppose as an archaeologist I have a specific set of tools at my disposal like ways of thinking about stuff and I just started to really obsessively apply those to the Marian shrines and I it was in the run-up to the referendum around the repeal the eighth and I think the two things were very linked in my mind it was kind of a way of trying to make sense of how we were in a situation where we had such awful misogynistic legislation because during the run-up to that campaign you were really being confronted by that and by the really misogynistic history of the Irish state and the role of the Catholic Church and all that and that didn't come out of nowhere so I think in a way trying to do that documentation that sort of contemporary archaeology on the shrines was my way of trying to make a little bit of sense out of that Um, I suppose growing up in rural Catholic Ireland in um, the figures are almost very familiar to me and they have a kind of comforting side and they're they're almost like kind of so ubiquitous like so common that you don't even really stop to think about them that much yeah and then i think one of the great tools about archaeology is we talk about making the familiar strange so defamiliarizing really uh, everyday quotidian things and then stopping and saying well, like what is the history of this where did it come from what are its roots why do we have these images everywhere and uh, so it was in that context that i got got interested and started down the road <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. we, we were so we were chatting last night. Um, sat at the roadside by, or yesterday evening, sat at yeah. the roadside by uh, a shrine, um, and you were saying something that I never even thought about. And when you said it to me, it was just like, oh my goodness, that's that's actually really poignant thing to to way to look at it, mm. the difference in class and the the shrines and the the different areas and whether it's a wealthy area mm. or or um, more impoverished yeah and what the shrines look like in those in those places yeah so at the moment i have about 200 (sighs) different shrines documented and they're the map that i've recorded so far is almost like a map of my life because they're all in the places i tend to drive through so i'll be driving along on the way to work and i'll stop and i'll take photos of them so i have a lot recorded around clare and limerick which is kind of near where i live and then a lot recorded as well in mayo which is where i used to work up on ackle island and there's a real Limerick I suppose is a very prosperous place like there's really rich agricultural land and um, a lot of the shrines there are architect designed so they'll be quite formal in terms of their layout and they might often be designed by like I've been able to track a few down to named architects and particularly in parts of Limerick sort of in the mid 20th century you were getting say Limerick Corporation or different kind of public bodies developing public housing so they would around say the city of Limerick they were clearing out the slums and they were building these new big public housing uh, developments which which people were moving out into and loads of them were sort of called Marion Villas and Marion Park and they often had Marion shrines as an integral part of the 
architecture and design so they might have a roundabout in the middle with a big marion shrine on it or they might have like you know it'll be like a t-junction and at the end at the back of it there'll be a shrine so some of them are like designed literally into those public housing developments which i think says something really interesting about how people were imagining themselves going forward and then in the opposite side if you go to places like north mayo west mayo which is a lot poorer land and there's a much bigger history of emigration and they're not going to have the same um money because a lot of these shrines were erected by you know there was a local committee you know would get together or a prominent person in the community might make a big donation and so they're kind of community funded in a lot of ways and sometimes groups of factory workers got together so there's one in castlebar that was um that was put up by workers in a meat factory in the town and there's in the docks in dublin there's ones that were put up by the dockers or in clawhead and loud there's one by the fishermen so kind of groups of workers would often do that as well but the ones in mayo tend to be much smaller and more simple and a lot more kind of homemade so they might have things like sea stones you know or shells or you know they'll be made from salvaged or recycled materials more likely than from you know carrara marble that's been imported from you know italy or you know very fine architecture you know architecture designs that'll be kind of more vernacular yeah. in, in format so, yeah because yeah, there's one there's a shrine on the road from galway heading up to heading heading towards Donegal. yeah well and <laughs> i'm not really sure if the road's because i don't drive but yeah when we were driving from galway to Donegal, yeah. on that road we find a shrine that had its own security system oh my god like, yeah like it was it was monitored by a security company was it in a kind of a box yeah yeah like i know and road. it's like kind of a glass case it, it's kind of like a bulletproof yeah. glass case like i know that not, one actually yeah and it's full of plastic flowers <laughs> yeah i think that's actually sort of a private one associated with the house behind it so that's a whole other kind of group of them so a lot of the ones that went up in the 1950s kind of went up around the marion year 1954 and there was this kind of grace you know and that was sort of like encouraged by the like the catholic church was actively encouraging people to do this and there was all these committees got like a lot of enthusiasm and community spirit yeah. kind of was, was was swept up in it but there's another kind of group that often tend to be um like outside people's private houses and they're very often to commemorate somebody who's died in the family so a lot of them have more kind of a poignant story um and those ones kind of still continue to be built. So I documented some up in Northwest Mayo that were from the, you know, the latest one was maybe 2012. And there's one in Politomus, um, where I used to live near up there. Um, and it's probably, yeah, I think it's the, t- the 2010s and it's for one of the, there was a, there's a guy who owns a pub up there and his son was died in a tragic accident in the docks in Galway, he drowned. And it's to commemorate his son. So there's a lot of, there's sort of that side of it as well. Yeah, because we find some, some shrines that are at the bottom of people's driveways yeah. or in their gardens yeah. or or those which that that sort of like finding them in housing yeah. developments is is bizarre yeah from my perspective <laughs> yeah. on my <laughs> journey it was bizarre now yeah. it's, become, it's become very commonplace but yeah. finding them in those places and then to see them in somebody's garden or in yeah. their driveway um, and yeah, as you say, it's that thing of like commemorating somebody yeah. that has maybe passed. But there's away other like practices. So, <laughs> um, when I was a kid, May is the month of Mary. So we would always make a little altar in the house and dress it up with like fine linens and put like flowers and things on it. Yeah. So, uh, like it's sort of an extension of that, I suppose, in a way. But maybe to put it in your garden, and there is a little bit of a connection as well with the traveling community, you know, because. And they would have a really strong devotion to Mary, a lot of them. 
and so so sometimes you see settled travelers will have really big like kind of grottos in their gardens and stuff i talked to a man in clare castle in galway and he was a traveling man and he had had big one and had padre pio and jesus and stuff in it as well so yeah wow yeah Yeah. it's it's kind of it's 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 an astonishing <laughs> yeah for, for, for um a, no, a, a non-catholic it's a very yeah. bizarre um not bizarre that's terrible i have yeah. got to stop saying it's bizarre yeah um because it's not it's it's quite a it's quite a beautiful devotional thing like we've i've noticed that over the last couple of days being here um and when we went to knock um the petition yeah the leaving petition yeah and one of the shrines today there's a little jar you have photographed yeah. on your site there's a little jar it's got like a gingham kind yeah. of looking lid on yeah. it and it has petitions on it I and know. there's all these pieces yeah. of paper yeah inside and i just think that you know that's there's some it's an overwhelming sense of emotion yeah. whenever you see that people have done that because it's one thing to make an offering but to actually write something and say this is my prayer it's like um there's this prayer i have all these like prayers in the back of my head that i know all the words to that from my childhood that i don't even really know what they are but there's one um hail holy queen and has a line in it um to thee do we send up our sighs mourning and weeping in this valley of tears Aww. so um i like you know that line to thee do we send up our sighs you know and it's really that sort of sense of um the 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 idea of the potent all loving mother figure is like something that's you know or it's it's a very potent image and it's something that we see cross culturally and it has a really really powerful psychological and emotional draw for a lot of people, um, and the the thing as well I suppose about the shrines is like I have a lot of mixed feelings about them because on the one side I see them as you know very material part of that materialization of that like really misogynistic attitude towards women in ireland in a certain time and place and really framing in the republic in a post-independent context saying you know when when it's kind of in that kind of post-independent context you're reimagining like what is it to be irish like who is this new nation like what do we want to be and so you kind of have this post-colonial thing where the met in those contexts you see it like internationally men t- tend to be hyper masculinized because it's a re- it's a, it's a it's a response against um colonizer views that sort of um f- would would see see the the colonized country as the men as effeminate or incapable so you get this kind of figure of the soldier like the brave irish soldier and the foil to that is kind of like the passive woman in need of rescuing so you have this kind of ideal irish woman as a virginal mother who sort of is there to serve her soldier sons yeah. and to re- be rescued by her soldier sons and then Ireland is personified as a woman who needs to be rescued so there's a lot of like nationalism in all its contexts is reliant on these really awful gender stereotypes so there's all that kind of really nasty side of it and when it's linked into things like the role of the Catholic Church in the new state and how how they had such a dominant role in framing legislation which which is how we got things like the eighth amendment which where like a woman's life was like you know basically worthless um but then on the other side you have that thing of this this kind of place where people go and a place of solace and comfort and the whole thing of offerings is something that you see a lot of this like so people leave things they leave coins they leave photographs of someone who's died or somebody who's sick they leave personal things i found like 
you know, flowers, religious coins, like pieces of clothing, babies' dummies, sh- runners. There was one in Connemara. There was a couple of pairs of runners at it. And that's part of a much, much older tradition. That's like, you know, at Roman wells, you find uh, people bring, people went to, ro- to, to, to wells in Roman times for healing and they would leave things there. And we have holy wells in Ireland where people leave things there. And in a way, a lot of the Virgin Mary shrines because they're, you know, the, the church is a very regulated space. So, you know, there's kind of a priest who's in charge of it and, you know, you can do certain things and you can't do certain things. It's all about respectability and, you know, the churches used to be segregated by class, like women would sit on one side, rich people had certain seats and all this kind of stuff. But the Virgin Mary shines by virtue of the fact that they're kind of outside, they're a little bit more open to what can happen there. And so you're able to get these more informal practices where people can go to them outside of that control and have a more personal uh, a more personal experience or link with with this kind of virgin, this kind of mother Mary figure. So yeah. which I think is really nice. Yeah, we we were chatting last night about um the, sort of some of the, the the way she's represented. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. When we're looking at other Mary. There is we, your Mary is um she's she's fabulous. She's so dishevelled. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like she's she looks like she's had a rough one. Yeah, <laughs> she's been through a battle of some sort. But um yeah, and this idea of like the the that's some of the Mary um they're they they're almost de sex they're almost yeah. kind of like she's so sh- so, so um covered up covered up yeah, yeah that you can't you can barely it's only from the the sort of passive yeah. expression that you can really tell that it's yeah like it's funny because yeah. if you look at a lot of the medieval um you know the statue of Mary was there was a big cult of devotion to Mary in medieval times yeah but she's always very much like a very much embodied mother so she's breastfeeding or she's nursing her child or she's looking lovingly into the child's eyes or you know when you sort of have that very you know there was the cult of Mary's milk and there was all these kind of very bodily associations whereas these those 20th century ones you get in Ireland they're almost like they're very it's a very cold mother it's like there's no of the 200 I've documented I think maybe two had she was holding a child um so like if we're looking at a one a, a sort of a foot high plaster statue that I bought in a car boot sale in Cavan a few years ago <laughs> and it's she's she's in, she's got the sacred heart pose but she doesn't even really have boobs there does she No and she's got really manly feet <laughs> she's got big feet strong feet really yeah. strong like feet her whole very bigger toes <laughs> Her whole figure is shrouded by this kind of blue cape so she's not like um, in a lot of them she has this really passive pose like she's looking up to God or she's looking down yeah. she's not like she doesn't seem like in her own power in a way well but no I mean I, I suppose because so some of my, the research that I've been doing has been looking at um, the, the the comparison of Eve and Mary yeah. these two mother figures yeah essentially mm. yeah two mother figures and when you when you look at it the you know both were created for a man yeah for the purposes of a man yeah yeah without any real without any real say or voice in in how that was going to go down um one gets cursed or is you know is like the the sort of like forerunner in mm. the curse that all women um on mm. like ha- have to endure and the other one is removed from that curse you know mm. she's kind of um 
you know that sort of like virginity and the immaculate conception the immaculate conception and then yeah. and so, sort of like the, the background around her birth and yeah. the whole sort of story of St Anne yeah. and um, uh, so like I, I had to look into this because I wasn't sure of her birth because it had me kind of scratching my head and going well like you know was her family really gifted in this whole immaculate conception (laughs) but um but yes uh that Anne couldn't have children Mm. was barren so she was the result of not a sexual union but but not a virgin birth yeah um but yeah she's kind of and I, i do think that we have like that a lot of the attributes as you say you know she's kind of bears a huge weight as a character she does yeah like she does a lot of unpaid emotional labor (laughs) she's still doing that like we're still for eternity she has to listen to all these people coming to her with their grief and their pain and their sorrow but yeah she's kind of so you were saying um also that uh when you were a child the trips you were the PA for your aunt was yeah that we used to go to knock on my <laughs> earliest yeah my, my earliest memories of that well the, when I would have first gone to knock I would have been like maybe 14 and I had a grand aunt I mean I had a load of grand aunts and grand uncles growing up you know the whole thing there was like none of them married and there was like you know that's the situation so I used to be Auntie, Auntie B's PA on the Legion of Mary bus to knock from like Dundalk which was I don't know like five hours on the bus saying the rosary over and over again yeah. it was really intense uh yeah but I think isn't that part of like was part of the ritual that for that journey the rosary would be set that's a lot of it's a lot of rosaries a lot of records <laughs> yeah that's yeah a lot of with the rosary yeah the rosary would be said uh yeah um the whole way on the bus it was pretty terrible <laughs> I do like the rosary in some contexts. It said if well, a lot it wakes, and I think then it's a really nice thing because it's like a way to channel everybody's grief. So you have a room full of people who are all feeling the same thing, and they're just saying these words over and over again. And they could be saying anything, yeah. but it, you know, it's not really the words, but it's just that everybody's chanting the same words. But in terms of being fourteen-year-old on a bus to knock, it wasn't not that pleasant. Not the best crack. No. Um, and yeah a knock is a very strange it's really weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really strange it's a really strange experience um yeah i i go i sometimes i bring guests there a lot particularly not non-irish friends you know just to see the cultural experience but um but yeah so if you had to pick your favorite shrine i know that's probably very very hard uh, yeah, I found a really nice one on Inishmian, um in the Aran Islands, and I really like her because she has she's holding the child and she looks really maternal and caring. So it's really different. I mean, it's from the same period in the nineteen fifties, but it's not that kind of cold, disembodied figure. You know, she's she's a bit more warm. And then some of the other ones I like um, are the ones where there's a lot of, you know, stuff there. <laughs> you know, people have brought like a lot of. Um, you know all the objects all the votive offering because I think they're really kind of nice yeah. they're kind of poignant but they're really you know interesting in what, what's happening there yeah some of them are um, what's your favourite one? Oh, uh, well I have to say Mokish yeah yeah oh Mokish that was the first That's one the, that was my your first Virgin my Mary my first Virgin Mary <laughs> well not really because I, I used to live I used to live in the Brandywell and there is um, there's quite a 
quite a big sort of yeah. um, shrine in, in the, the Branduel. But yeah, my my sort of first really thinking about it yeah. was, was Muckish Mountain. And yeah. so like there's a little bridge and and I think from what I from what I know of the story that whenever um so a lot of, when a lot of the emigration was happening mm. the, the bridge was the point. Mm. I think it's Bridge of Tears or something like oh that. Lord. So the bridge was the point of saying goodbye. Yeah. So there's like then this um there's then as you go up on around the yeah around the bend onto onto actually the, the bottom of the yeah. mountain there's this little inlay and there's a shrine there and mary is there she's quite gray she's not yeah. even colored in oh i know and i fair. feel very sad for her so you know we do we we always stop and like well but we try and stop and we have we <laughs> we can't give her like a paint <laughs> glass i'd love to but you know and whenever the cycling was happening the reporter loose parked right in front Aww, of her and i was just not fair. like oh mary <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the last thing you want to be seeing but um yeah so she's yeah she's she's kind of my favorite but um there have been a few i mean yeah this trip i don't i don't know and, and the st bridget's well atlas scanner what did you think about that oh my goodness i think that was breathtaking yeah walking in just like the first point of walking in and being confronted with so much emotion i know in such a small space yeah was kind of overwhelming yeah um and because you're looking at all of these offerings and there's various different statues of you know different like there's jesus and padre pio and there's mary and a lot of marys a lot of marys um and yeah and sort of like little mary's tucked in away and yeah the, you know they've they've sort of decayed almost and her turning into the rock yeah and it's quite yeah quite sad and we did we find um so like you know it's a it's a place where there yeah lots of people go and say prayers and put offerings for people that they've lost and stuff and a lot of the things that we find were of people that had died yeah but then outside on the wall we find just this little message written in a in a heart yeah and it was we hope we we, we pray that we will be able to conceive wow and I, I properly teared up at I the know. idea of yeah. that because it was, you know, yes, the whole sort of like loss and grief and, you know, saying yeah. prayers for those who've died. But here was something different. Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Asking for hope. I know. Yeah. You do have that as well with sickness. You know, a lot of sick people go and people hoping for a cure or hoping to get better. Yeah. So that's another yeah it's it's one, quite beautiful one of my um discoveries uh, on my um study of the virgin mary has been her role in fighting communism <laughs> so mary <you> little devil. <laughs> yeah detail. she was really against communism <laughs> mother of god <laughs> yeah so there's all these um so along with the 1954 Marian year, there was all these like ginormous processions. I was looking at old newspaper cuttings. And if you think about like what's happening politically in the 1950s, so there's these uh, great kind of speeches reported in the papers from various priests and bishops saying, 
Mary guard us against the tentacles of atheistic communism <laughs> and my mum said when they were kids you know they would be praying you know they used to all say the rosary before Vatican II it was really common that like families would yeah Vatican II kind of was part of the way part had, had a role in sort of moving away from that like obsessive cult of Mary but they used to pray the rosary every night and they used to pray for the conversion of Russia the conversion of China <laughs> yeah wow and there was there was particularly in America because there was so many I mean Irish people like McCarthy McCarthyism is named after somebody who's obviously had Irish heritage but you know there was a lot of Irish Americans really involved in anti-communism and they were kind of marshalling that you know Catholic version of Mary so she's she gets quite political particularly in the late in the late from the late 19th century and she's kind of um she's kind of yeah she's used as a sort of a weapon against this the awful role of modern society and it's all its sins and all its evils it's kind of been kind of conjured and that kind of role so she becomes she she has this kind of political political side to her which is quite interesting as if your shoulders weren't carrying it (laughs) i know yeah you're submissive (laughs) compliant you're pure and you're you know a mother you have to watch your child die you now have then to like dictate how women are supposed to hold themselves and now you have to battle communism i know and on top of it all oh my goodness it's an awful lot to bear that's a huge thing yeah that's that's a lot for one yeah and then of course there's the you know another political aspect i suppose is you know there's another marrying year in the 1980s in ireland you see this big upsurge in um a phenomenon i haven't really you know looked into it in any great depth but i think it's you know super interesting is the bleeding moving crying statues phenomenon which you had in the 1980s and the i suppose the most famous site is balance bittle in cork where like ton like hundreds of people came there because the statue was said to move and dance but you know that wasn't the only site in ireland like there was there was a place i think in tyrone where it also happened and there was a couple of other um there was a couple of other sites where it also happened um and i in a way i think it's you know to do with that anxiety like there's a bit of social anxiety happening in the 1980s in terms of you know social liberalization you know people were all getting (laughs) getting obsessed about it you know you think about things that are starting to happen like contraception and divorce and all those kind of things and even with the um most recent you know repeal the eighth referendum there were all these you know um, rosary rallies against you know abortion happening you know where people would be out praying the rosary in public you know to save the babies and yes. all that kind of thing yeah so but that I suppose now that'd be quite a fringe you know, people involved in that now would be quite fringe you know you know when Trump came to Claire there was people out you know the same type of people who were welcoming him you know because he's saving the uh, babies from abortion you know <laughs> it's like never mind climate change and you know mexican children at the border and black kids in the states yeah. it's just like yeah. so uh so it'd be quite fringe now but i suppose it would have been you know quite a big in the 1950s it was very uh widespread and all that kind of stuff yeah well i suppose if you look at kind of um so like the whole um knock apparition that happened yeah was sort of uh I think 20 years after yeah is it 20 years after yeah it's roughly around yeah a similar was, time to yeah. the revival that happened within like um presbyterian okay church. yeah i think you might have this wrong <laughs> but um well yeah you get the, the devotional revolution in mm-hmm. in the catholic church 
kind of after the famine and there's like a big massive change in the way that it's practiced so yeah. before that it's a lot more vernacular in character you know people going to not not very many people were going to mass really they were kind of they had their own type of catholicism they were going to holy wells and pattern days and different things yeah. and then it you know it's then after the famine it's about it you know disciplining people and getting them into church and getting them to do to follow the precepts more yeah the priests more. and this is sort of like the setup of education yeah and, exactly yeah um, you know um, the school system. school system being yeah. created and stuff like yeah. that yeah and then yeah it's kind of, isn't it, it it i think it's it's funny how you see certain movements happening at, mm. at particular points and and what what is the what are the things around it? there's a cat eating <laughs> there's a cat the eating yeah got in the cat flap finally um has worked it out <laughs> <laughs> and now he's looking very pleased i think she's finished yeah yeah She'll probably come and nuzzle the microphone now. <laughs> uh, what is this cable? Please don't eat the cables. That would not be good, Kat. I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the journey to finding Mary has been... is an interesting one. And yeah, so you're writing a paper. Is there anything that you want to maybe... I don't know, is there anything... Or have we talked all of the... Yeah, I mean, I guess... I suppose... Um, just that role just that role I mean it started off in a way as well because I was doing this project on the archaeology of 1916 um, in Dublin and then you were looking at like commemorations off that and there's a lot of statues put up in the Republic let's say in the first half of the 20th century commemorating all these war heroes and it's all men like you know because <laughs> women have been erased from those stories like they always are yeah. so there's all these kind of you know glorious men in uniforms blah 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 um and then i was like where are all the where are all the commemorations for the women and then i was just like oh my god it's the virgin mary statues <laughs> because uh, you know at the same time they were they were putting up these as they were putting up these statues to commemorate glorious war heroes they were putting up these statues of uh of the virgin mary and there's one of one of the my favorite ones i suppose is an ennis it's opposite the courthouse and there's a statue of de valera and right beside it there's a statue of the virgin mary so it's just kind of like you know this kind of founding mythological couple of the you know the, wow. the stage like you know dev and the virgin mary <laughs> like so so there's that whole that whole thing and i think there was just so much violence done to women um in the republic and um and you know and that was very much tied into into how you know th that kind of catholic image of what women should be was very much tied into it and it was really racist as well if you look if you look into it you know there was um the jazz panic you know the whole the dance hall acts and all this kind of thing where there was moral outcry about people playing jazz which was seen as a de you know degenerate music and like n-word music and really kind of flagrant kind of racist um you know language being used to, to to put it to put it down and um it's seen as being a corrupting influence on you know irish purity and this idea of like you know the work of because women have that role of like socializing children like they're seen as the moral guardian of the home and they're seen as like being responsible for raising pure gaelic sons you know <laughs> like free of the like degenerate influence of like the corrupting moral influence of jazz and foreign films and like you know 
foreign culture you know so women have that role and you know as, as well you know we don't like to think about Ireland's role in colonialism but like we have, we really do have a role in it and particularly with things like the missions going to Africa you know particularly in the late well particularly in the 20th century yeah and you know when we were kids it would always be yo money for the black babies you know and um and again that kind of post-colonial thing I think there's a definitely a role in like casting Ireland as this pure white kind of country and Irish women as pure this kind of pure moral good Gaelic women sort of thing and that has this implicit kind of other other and those others were like women who were like loads of different women like women who ended up in Magdalene laundries women who had to who who were all kinds of de- seen as deviants in all kinds of way who who maybe were alcoholics or who were sex workers or who were poor and who couldn't live up to these kind of imagined standards so there's this kind of whole really violent side to that I think you know yeah. and that that thing of incarcerating people and um, something that we're still only kind of coming to, to to grips with now and even you know there's still a lot of denial around it you know yeah like yeah the i mean yeah and like you know violence to women's bodies in very you know physical ways like the whole symphysiotomy scandal oh my goodness where yeah. it was seen as like it's better to physically disable this woman by severing her pelvis than to possibly um to, to open up the possibility that she might need to use birth control you know to limit the because you know limit the amount of cesarean sections yeah. So like it was actually seen as preferable that a woman would be incontinent in a complete pain all the time, not properly able to walk down and to use not. birth control. Yeah. Like it's just so disgusting like that was happening. Yeah. And it's been it's like it's really recent that yeah. that's not that long ago. No, it's not that it's long really ago. Not. Yeah. Um and even sort of I know somebody who there was a woman from our village who she took a case that happened to her and she took a case because the Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Dundalk or in Drogheda was notorious. Yeah, and there's one of the one of the doctors that recently Am I reading this wrong? Maybe I am. <laughs> but um no, I think there was some there was some some doctor that had was like in a opposition to the in opposition to abortions being carried out in okay. a particular hospital and that even though the hospital even though it's now like has been legal and yeah you know that this is supposed to be available that have said that none of the staff will do it and like there was a few doctors signed the letter to say that they wouldn't do it yeah and I think one of the doctors was known for doing yeah for performing that okay that's interesting yeah because a lot of the um a lot of Irish hospitals are like still owned by nuns and stuff yeah and and again just like tying into the you know another really um frightening thing is like the the rate of maternal deaths for migrant women in Ireland is like double that of for Irish women for Irish born Irish women like white Irish women yeah. So there's still a lot of those really awful attitudes, like racism, like structural racism happening in those hospitals. And although I hope things are getting better somehow. Um, and yeah, like that was another big thing about the Eighth Amendment as well was like, 
consent basically like consent in birth in the birthing process and all that kind of stuff because the eighth amendment meant that doctors could make interventions without women's consent if they yeah. deemed that it was like that's right there was um there was a, a midwife had said that frequently you know it would be a case where she would say maybe say i have got to perform this physiotomy yeah. on you yeah and the woman said no i don't want you to cut me and her yeah. saying i don't need your permission yeah because the eighth yeah. amendment says that yeah. that baby has to come out by yeah. whatever means yeah like that's yeah that's crazy and do you think so like the whole uh, so part of my part of my journey is to look at the position of women yeah in ireland and do you think that um in view of the mary and that those ideals that given the the repeal of the eighth that that will change the stance yeah i think like a lot of women who i know who were involved in the campaign there was and i've definitely felt this but there was almost like a physical response to that referendum being passed you just like it was almost physical you felt like physically different after it passed because suddenly you feel like you have this type of control over your body in a way that you didn't have before yeah it was like like a weight being lifted um and and i i wasn't like i was involved in the campaign but like not to any extent like a lot of other women would have been you know maybe i got involved quite late kind of more like okay the referendum's happening now i better put my shoulder to the wheel but you know there's been women organizing for like well with the abortion rights campaign i think since 2012 but obviously generations of activists who've been working for like literally decades yeah on this and still are in the north um but but um but like it was almost like this physical feeling of just like oh my god like i can't believe it happened but so there was ex- probably a bit of exhaustion but just this like lightness like okay you know because always at the back you're you know you just be like oh if for some reason i became pregnant didn't want to be it's not like this total nightmare situation anymore you know yeah um which is really nice (laughs) yeah despite the leaks of information to you you know (laughs) i mean it's still there's still a lot of work to do you but know? it, but it's yeah. the fact that it's in legislation yeah, exactly. and it's there, and it was so resounding as well. Yeah. You know, it was like over seventy percent. So that was really amazing. And actually, it was really like doing the canvassing for it was really interesting because people told you loads of stories about their lives, and it was quite surprising sometimes. You know, you, you knock on a door and there'd be some owl boy with the you know a legion of mary pin and you just be bracing yourself for like some terrible onslaught of misogyny and he would be like there was one guy we met in Kilrush, and he had a legion of mary pin he came over to the stall and he was like militantly pro-choice like really just like nobody deserves to tell a woman what to do with her body and he was about 70 like you know he just looked like a culty farmer you know so there was a lot of that as well which was really just like whoa you know and then there was of course loads of people you know lots mostly old men going like oh just keep your knickers on love you know so there was a bit of that as well but just keep your dick in your pants <laughs> yeah oh. yeah yeah he wishes <laughs> yeah yeah it'd be um i know that there is like there's still a lot of work to do down south um but yeah there's so much work to do up north i know well. <laughs> um yeah. but um my other top saint is saint bridget and well 
she's kind of cool because she's really well her feast day is on the first day of spring so that's always exciting she's kind of secretly a pagan goddess she's the daughter of the Dagda so that's also good and she performed an abortion on one of her nuns that's one of her miracles wow so you know there is a solid I don't know is she the patron saint of abortion probably I'm just going to say she might be she should be she should be yeah so you know and another interesting thing I have done some work in the folklore archives in UCD and you know there's a whole very hidden history of women knowing what to do when it comes to that stuff you know and herbal abortions and all those kind of things you know but it's very hard to study it because by its very nature it's hidden and not yeah you know if it's the 1950s and there's some posh guy from Dublin going around recording folklore in the area you're hardly going to be well actually <laughs> here's what we used to do yeah that's true and mm. and it is it's that thing of like you know you know the whole thing by making it illegal it's not going to stop it it's just going to yeah make it unsafe yeah um, because the reality is if you if a woman doesn't want to yeah one of the most um, I think the one of the shrines that most impacted me and I just found like really emotional was Granard which is um Granard was in Longford and there was a young girl who um Anne Lovett Anne she was Lovett, a teenage yeah. girl and she died giving birth outside the shrine I think it was I don't remember it was 1980 maybe until 1985 or around yeah around somewhere between yeah. 83 and 85 yeah, yeah around there yeah. Yeah. and that just like brings an awful lot of the things together we've been talking about so there's like you know she was obviously so freaked out about being pregnant as a teenager and the judgment and how she, that was going to be how she'd be treated and how that would you know that she hid it from everybody and then in her hour of need like that's where she did go to this place you know where she where she died in the end which was you know like it's such a such a horrific thing it was very I felt very emotional going there because of just of what had happened you know God rest her yeah yeah through the through the interviews that I've done that her name had come up a lot every single time yeah yeah um, yeah every single time and I think that's the one that we all we all remember yeah that you know this young girl, fifteen, having a baby, yeah, in front of at the feet of at the yeah. feet of Mary. Yeah, it's very like the grotto itself. It's kind of it's a little bit hidden, you know, in the town, and it's kind of this big rock outcrop, and there's all the big ferns and all these kind of you know, it's kind of like quite it's like it's like a proper grotto, you know, like with in the sense of it kind of being a bit cavey and a bit concealed and stuff. Wow. Yeah to go there and to go through that on yeah. your own on your own yeah I mean it's scary enough it's really scary it's really scary yeah yeah scary enough scary enough having a child in a hospital <laughs> but you know and with like you know so I one of the things that has come up over and over again like I was 16 when yeah. I had my son and you know scary being being pregnant mm. and 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 going into hospital and then complications arising yeah. and you know like I ended up having a cesarean section yeah. so 
for that young girl being yeah. so young not having anybody to hold her hand or yeah to hold her hand to tell her yeah to tell her to breathe to yeah to to reassure her to know. you know just anything at all so heartbreaking it's you really feel like it would be lovely to have a little memorial there for her or something or you know to add something onto the grotto to I don't know, maybe people in Granard wouldn't like that, or I don't know, but mm. I felt like doing something. Well, maybe yeah. we could do it digitally. Yeah, a little art for her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much oh, for, this <laughs> <laughs> for this interview. This has been, been really great and hopefully not too traumatic. <laughs> no, it was okay. <laughs> thought you'd ask me scary questions about uh, the history of the doctrine of the immaculate conception <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> no I'm not that cruel thank you for listening to this episode 6 of For the Love of Mary podcast um, thank you to the Arts Council of Northern Ireland for their support uh, through the SIAP award to allow me to be able to to carry out this project meet with all of the, the amazing women that I have met record these conversations and make these podcasts Uh, please continue to show your support by liking sharing subscribing tell your mates um just yeah let's get these stories out because they're absolutely they're absolutely amazing um we do this because the stories of women are so important and need to be shared so please do share them um keep listening in um there's still lots more on the cards that um, and this little journey in that I had in County Clare continues for the next the next three episodes. Um, so you've got some great stuff to come up. Thank you. <laughs>